0: We're going to begin this morning in John chapter 11, John, Gospel of John chapter 11. Before we get started, let us pray and ask for God's favor. Heavenly Father, you are the God of all gods. There is none like you. Or you can speak and create what wasn't. Father, we come before you this morning as the one, the high exalted one, the powerful one, the awesome one, the one who calls us to draw near and has drawn near to us, the one who's given us his beloved son and filled us with your spirit. We come to you and make requests of you, knowing that you do hear us and will hear us and delight to hear us because we're in Christ. And we ask these things by the Spirit, that you would be merciful to us, your people, and that you would open our eyes and ears, that you would pour your, uh, your word into our hearts and illuminate by your Spirit and transform us into the likeness of your beloved Son. Make us highly dependent people. Convict us, Father, of our independence. Help us to see our need of you and understand the importance of prayer. Help us to realize why it is we should seek you fervently. Please, Father, for we ask this in Christ, in whom you're well pleased. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the reason why we should pray as we begin this series on prayer prayer. And that whole reason last week was based on the very nature of God. The reason, if you will recall, why we should pray, why we should be fervent in prayer, realizing it's probably the most important thing we can do is why? Because of who God is, right? Because God is powerful, God is rich, and God is gracious. There's a lot more that could be said about God. There's a lot more that we could say in reference to Him. But that, those facts alone should be enough to stir us, should be enough to awaken us and say if we really understand the power of God, the richness of God, the graciousness of God, that we have an abundant, abundant reasons to pray. This week we're going to be looking at some more reasons why we should pray. And this week we're going to discover that it's through prayer that God works in the world. And realize the, hopefully realize the connection between our praying and God's acting. And that really God wants his people. A church militant is a church praying because it's through the prayers of the saints that God is actively at work in the world. We all know the story of Moses with Aaron and Hur. As they go up on the mountain, God says, I want you, Moses, to go up on the mountain and take Aaron and Hur with you. And Joshua is going to go down and engage in battle with the Amalekites. And I want you to raise your hands. And so Moses is up there, and as he raises his hands, Israel's having the victory. But his hands got tired, and as he lowered them, all of a sudden they began to lose. And then he realized, well, I better keep my hands up. So he keeps them up and they get tired. So they place some rocks and they they prop Aaron and her, grab an arm, and they, they make sure until Israel gains the victory that Moses' hands remain up. This is a great picture of how God uses prayer to bring about his will on the earth. As the hands of prayer get weary, so do the soldiers but as the hands of prayer prevail so do the soldiers one of the main reasons we why we know this is how god works in the world is because jesus demonstrated it himself he demonstrated that prayer was the source of the power in his ministry i had you turn to john chapter 11 for a reason because in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. We all know the story, hopefully. And when he does so, he does it by prayer. This is how the story is told in John chapter 11, verses 17 through 22. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb. he, Lazarus, been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Did you hear that? I know. She's convinced. I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. How does she know that? Obviously, she knows that because she has experience with it. She has seen Jesus and he asks of the Father. The Father gives it to him and they've seen miracles. Wow, one thing I know, Martha says, I know that you'll ask of God and he will give it to you. And the story goes on, drop down to verse 38 through 44. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Just in case Jesus didn't know. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, look what he does. Lifts up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now he had said these things. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. I hope we see here the connection of what just took place. Martha knows that Jesus prays, and when Jesus prays, the Father answered. And Jesus here, he says, I want them to see something, I want them to know something. When I ask the Father, the Father hears me. And he says that he prays, he prays to the Father, that the Father would hear his prayer, and that when he calls to Lazarus, God answers, and Lazarus comes forth. They're seeing the connection between Jesus and how he works on the world. Jesus said, I didn't come to do my own will. I didn't come here to do my own thing. I come here to do the will of my Father who's in heaven. And they saw a direct connection between Jesus' ministry, all that took place, and his praying. And after seeing stuff like this, you could see why the disciples went to Jesus and say, say to him, Master, teach us to pray. We're going to look at that prayer that, uh, and that expression that, that they asked him later on in the series and look at how Jesus teaches them to pray. But don't you think it interesting? Why didn't they say, Jesus, teach us how to do that great stuff. Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons. Jesus, teach us how to turn water into wine. Now that is neat, man. Jesus, could you like show us some of that great stuff where you, you just say things and things come down and zapo things? I mean, that is wonderful stuff. Can you teach us how to do that? Why do you think it is that they go to Jesus and Jesus, teach us to pray? The same reason I believe Martha understands that Martha says, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you so do the disciples they know that the prayers of jesus are the thing that which uh, causes his ministry to happen the power that he has what's happening through him is a result of his praying this is why they go to jesus and of all the things they could have asked him to teach them, they say teach us to pray man you can pray We see that this is, Jesus demonstrates in his ministry, the source of his power is through prayer. You know it's also pretty amazing? We sang in Psalm 2 this morning, and in Psalm chapter 2, the Father says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. Do you see what it's contingent upon? The Father says to the Son, Ask of me. Just come to me and ask. Son, if you ask me for the nations, I will give it to you. Just ask. Jesus did ask, and the Father did give it to him. We know this. We've seen this several times. Matthew 18, right? I'm sorry, Matthew 28, 18. So he says, all authority in heaven and earth has what? Has been given to me. Therefore, go and disciple the nations fulfilling Psalm 2. Prayer has such an important component to all that happens on the earth. That Jesus's get this folks, Jesus's permanent ministry. Do you know what Jesus does now as he's seated in heaven? What he gives himself to? Do you know he just doesn't sit on the throne and and then, you know, ask for another drink. He's given him he has a permanent ministry. It says in Hebrews chapter 7 725, that Jesus, as our high priest, ever lives to make intercession for us. Do you know what Jesus ever lives to do? As a great high priest in heaven, he didn't go for a vacation. He goes there, to. he ever lives to intercede on our behalf. He, we have an advocate before the Father. We have one who continues to pray. Do you think prayer has an effect? Do you think what God is doing on the, uh, in this earth has something to do with the fact that Jesus is up there continuing to pray? You better believe it. It's why what's happening in the earth. It's why what's taking place is because Jesus is praying. As R.A. Torrey put it, he said, I know of nothing that has so impressed me with a sense of the importance of praying at all seasons, being much and constantly in prayer, as the thought that this is the principal occupation at present of my risen Lord. Well said. Jesus clearly demonstrates that it is through prayer that God works in the world. But it isn't just it isn't just the work of Jesus or the prayers of Jesus. We actually participate in this as well. God has his people pray before he acts. It is through the prayers of his people that God acts on this, on this earth. For example, in the case of Abraham and Abimelech, God has Abraham pray for Abimelech in order to keep God from bringing judgment upon him. In that particular story, you remember, where Abraham is afraid because they're wandering into into the land of the Amalekites. And and Abimelech, who's a king, is powerful, obviously, and he knows he's going to run into him. And Abraham decides, well, you know what? I have got this incredibly beautiful wife. (laughs) She's gorgeous. I know what's going to happen. Abimelech's going to want to kill me and take my wife. So what is he going to do? He comes up with this clever idea. I'm going to tell him she's my sister. So Abraham schemes his plan and tells Abimelech that, yeah, this is just my sister. And so Abimelech takes him, thinking it's just Abraham's sister. And then we'll pick up the story in Genesis chapter 20, verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you've you've taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she even herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I've done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. And then down in verse 17 through 21, and we, um, we have Abraham's response. It says, So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, why did God do this? Why did God act in this way? Because Abraham prayed. He says, God says, Abraham's going to pray for you. If Abraham prays for you, then I'll heal you. Well, Abraham was a little bit of a knucklehead, but it doesn't matter. He's God's prophet, and he says, you know, I'm going to listen to Abraham. And if Abraham, he's going to pray for you, better make sure he prays for If he prays for you, you'll be okay. Because I'll listen to Abraham and I'll heal you. And sure enough, Abraham prays for Abimelech and God heals him. We've got a similar event like this in the book of Job. The situation with Job and his friends. At the end of the book, after Job's friends gave him all that counsel, God tells Job, tells the friends that I'll have Job pray for you. And and through his prayer... God will turn away his wrath. In Job 42, 7-8, it says, And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, and the, the, the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourself seven bulls and seven rams go to my servant job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering and my servant job shall pray for you for i will accept him lest i deal with you according to your folly and if he so he look at the connection here my servant job is going to pray for you And if he doesn't, lest I deal with you according to your folly. Lest I come and truly deal with you. Bring judgment upon you. Bring a curse upon you. Lest this happen to you. He says, I have my servant Job pray for you. And Job's prayer prays for them and delivers them. God uses the prayers of his people to act on the earth. We can go further than this. We need to see that God uses the prayers of his people To act in the earth in a powerful way, to move mountains, to shake kingdoms, and to defeat enemies. We think of that, I use the word moving mountains for a reason. If you look at Matthew 21, Matthew 21, Jesus says something about prayer that is pretty, you know, almost to the point of outlandish in its promise. Matthew 21, verses 21 through 22. This is, Jesus has been walking with his disciples and you remember the story where he curses the fig tree and they see that that thing just withered and died and say, whoa, he did, look what that, look, I can't believe he did that. And so Jesus says to them, starting in verse 21, assuredly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, But also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it'll be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now I'm not going to go into this passage too much and try to explain what it is saying, what it isn't saying. There's a lot here. I actually plan on on looking at this particular passage passage shortly in this series. But I think one thing we have to realize and, and, and understand here at the very least is... Jesus is trying to help them understand the connection. The connection between them praying and God acting in powerful, mighty ways. If you seek the Father, great things will happen. Just as Jesus did, as we looked at already. Jesus is giving them example. And when he, Jesus if he talks in John, he says, And greater works than these that, that you will do. And he connects it to this because I'm going to, he says, I'm going to go to the Father. When I go to the Father, I'm going to send the Comforter. I'm going to pour out the Spirit. And when I do that, great things are going to be happening. And great things will happen. And they're always connected to praying. We can look at the history of the church. And when has God poured out his Spirit and done great things in the church? You know what always precedes it? People fervently seeking God, knowing that unless God moves, it's in vain. God must work by his spirit. And this is how it's always been. In Revelation chapter 8, it's actually a fascinating um, example of of how God actually combines the the prayers of the saints and what what he does on the earth. In Revelation 8, 1 through 6, he describes this connection in this way. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, this is what the censer that the priest would have as he walked into the temple. It was a censer that had little um, incense in it, and it would be on on fire, and it would be smoking. Smoke would be coming up from it as he carried it. He came and stood at the altar, now, the priests, again, around the temple, this was a common scene. So this angel looks like one of the priests in the temple with a censer. And he was given much incense, it says, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints under the golden altar, which was before the throne. Now, before the throne, in the most holy place, do you remember there's, a, there's this little um, altar of incense in, in the holy place, before the curtain, where you had the mercy seat, where God would sit on his throne, and that's where his feet would rest. His throne is in heaven, his feet on earth symbolized. And then you have this altar of incense, and the incense would go up before the curtain. If you're looking in towards, uh, uh, towards the curtain, on your right would be the table of showbread, and on your left would be the lampstands. But straight ahead, just before, right in front of the mercy seat, was the altar of incense. And he says, in this altar of incense, he says, this was mixed, the prayers of the saints were going up. And they ascended before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, um, ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And when the seven angels sounded, each angel goes and brings judgment on the earth. So the first angel brings judgment upon the vegetation. Then the second angel, the sea. The third angel, the heavens. The fourth angel, the rivers. The fifth angel brought locusts to devour. The fifth angel a third of mankind was killed. And then the sixth angel, the kingdoms, it says, once the, the, the sixth angel sounded the trumpet, and all this happens, all this judgment on the earth happens as a result, it's in response to the prayers of the saints. Crying out to God that he would bring vindication and judgment, and God does. But the sixth angel cries out that the kingdoms of the world, it says, have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. So in culmination to this, so with this trumpet going out, what happens? What happens on the earth is that all the kingdoms of the earth have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Kingdoms are shaken. Kingdoms are brought under subjection to Christ. Kingdoms are, the, the king's knees are broken. They fall before him. Why? Why does this happen? This passage shows us that it's a connection to the prayers of the saints. Mountains are moved. Kingdoms are shaken. Enemies are defeated. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this whole idea of how our enemies are defeated. The conquest of the enemy who hates our soul and wants nothing but our absolute destruction is overcome in large part through prayer. At the end of Ephesians 6, where Paul is informing them of the battle that they are in, and the armor that they're going to need in order to defeat their enemy, he says this in verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. What brings us all together? What allows them to put the armor on? What, and finally, what's the crescendo here? Finally, brothers, put it all together in prayer. Pray always. Praying. Be praying. I love how even the defeat of the enemy is, is connected to Jesus', Jesus is praying. He prays for us in the great high priestly prayer in John seven, uh, 17 that God would deliver us from the evil one and protect us. But you know what's even fascinating? Watch the connection to prayer and deliverance even in the life of Peter. In the life of Peter, if you remember, he's all, he thinks he's all this in a bag of chips and tells Jesus that he'll go with him even to his grave and says, you know, you know and everybody else might leave you but not me. And Jesus says, you know, Peter. Um, you know, but we all know the story. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And we've got some pretty amazing insight into this, what actually happened. Because Peter prevailed. Peter came out of this still having the faith, not because Peter was something amazing or anything else, but simply because of Jesus, that Jesus prayed. Listen to how Jesus put, it, put this in Luke 22, 31 through 22. Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. That your faith should not fail. Notice that I didn't pray he says, he didn't say, I prayed for you that you, you wouldn't be sifted as wheat. He said, I prayed for you that your faith should prevail. Peter gets beat up, whooped, and sifted. But he doesn't deny the faith. He doesn't his faith prevails at the end. He says, And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Do you see the connection between Peter's prevailing and Jesus' praying? Jesus said, I've prayed for you, Peter, and you better be thankful. Because Satan came and asked that he might whoop you. Now, that's kind of scary behind the scenes. Peter has no idea what's going on you got to think, man, how often, you know, we know from Ephesians 6 that our, our battle is against principalities, powers, and dominions, and rulers of the darkness of this age, and and uh, we that's going on. But none of us see this. None of us really understand what's happening. But you can be thankful that if you persevere to the end, Jesus prayed for you. <laughs> you have an advocate. I mean, I don't want to be sifted as wheat. Um, I don't want to you know who knows what's being asked what happened to Job and we realized in the back the scene where nobody sees what's going on it was because Satan you know God says have you considered my servant Job and Satan says yeah it's because you protected him let me at him and I'm sure he'll curse you and God says okay you just can't take his life that's scary it's this, that stuff's going on and we don't know it or see it or realize. But one thing we can have confidence in is that Jesus has prayed and is praying for us. God works in this world and he delivers us from his enemies. This is why Paul says to the Ephesians, and pray with all supplication and pray for me and pray for all the saints and be watchful in this. This idea, that, that, that idea of being watchful on towers around the city, you would have a watchman who stood there. And he stood guard and he would look out to see if anybody was coming. And when they were coming, he would, he would sound the trumpets and everybody would get ready and lock up the city and get in a defensive posture. He was the man who would, who would make sure that if you could imagine if that guy is not watchful, if he starts doing this, all of a sudden the enemy comes and the whole city could be in ruin because he was not watchful. That's the idea that he's conjuring up for these Ephesians. Be watchful. Know that the enemy is a roaring lion coming around seeking whom he may devour. Pray for me. Pray for one another. Pray for all the saints, he says. Because God hears prayer. He listens to it. He loves to answer it. We should not take this lightly realize that God moves mountains, he shakes kingdoms, and he defends our, us from our enemies and conquers enemies by the prayers of the saints. It's, it's vital to our life. Do you know it's, it's, what's amazing, though? Is we all might affirm prayer, but then when you look at our actions, we, we, give, it the, we, kinda, we give it the bookends. We might start and end with prayer but in the middle the real heart of what we're doing we really think the real engine of what what it is that we're trying to accomplish is is all of our planning scheming dreaming and all of our effort yet you know as as psalm 127 says unless the lord builds a house they labor in vain to build it god can do more in two minutes than we could do in 20 years with all of our efforts you know, we could even say, let's transform the city. How would we transform the city? Well, let's, okay, let's all get in the room and let's devise a master plan. We are going to, and that's what I would do. That's what I like to do. You know, this, this plan, let's plan. Let's come up with a strategy and let's, let's, let's work this all out and develop it. And let's get into the nuts and bolts of it and say, and say yeah, but we should pray. Of course we should pray. We're going to pray at the beginning and we'll pray at the end. But the real, where the real meat's at here is we really got to get down to some strategic planning. Because if he's going to take the city, we need to have a good plan. Well, no. Um, that's why at times he says when he wants to take an enemy, he says, "I just, how about you guys yeah, stand up on the hill here, blow horns, and sing. And they'll all kill themselves. In the case of Jehoshaphat, right? God does these things. How about march around the city seven times? Have a little parade. Then shout and walls will fall over. The battle belongs to the Lord. And if we really believe that God is the one who shakes, moves mountains, shakes kingdoms and, and delivers us from our enemies, then he's the one we need to beseech. He's the one we need to be very vigilant with if he's the one who controls all things, and if he's the one who loves to hear the prayers of his people, what ought to be the heart of what we do? What ought to be at the center of what we do? Prayer. And if a church who's diligently, fervently praying, seeking that throne of grace, and makes it a high priority, not just a bookend, but a high priority understands where the real battle is won, understands where the power's at, understands who's the one who can change things like that. And when we understand this, we need to repent of all of our man-made schemes and dreams, thinking that it has so much to do with us and you know, just a little of God's pixie dust on us to at his blessing and realize this is God's work. This is God's battle. This is a God thing. So why should we pray? Why should we pray? Because of who our God is and because of how he works in the world. It's through the prayers of his people. The Bible shows us where the real power is. You know what I love about God and his kingdom? His kingdom always flips everything on its head. Always. And especially, think of this, when it comes to prayer. Because prayer, if you saw a bunch of people on their knees, if you observe it, it looks like weakness. It looks like, you know gonna get up and do something. It's like, you guys just... uh, praying? Who are you praying to It's like invisible. You don't even see anything. What's going on? It just doesn't seem like, you know, you really got all that going on. But when you understand prayer and you understand how God uses it, we begin to realize, you know, here's what's flipped on its head. Here's how the last become first and the first become last. Some grandmother who's devoted her life to prayer has more impact in the kingdom than Billy Graham ever had. Yet us with our eyes like to think it was Billy Graham. He's up front. He's the mouth. He's the guy talking. It's like, look at what God is doing. And so we're quickly deceived, and we don't understand. No, no, no. The real horsepower was in that granny who's loving their children, family, quiet little life, and she was just beseeching the pr- throne constantly. And in the, I guarantee you, watch what's going to happen in the final judgment when all things are revealed and made plain. We're going to go, Wow. Wow, look at all, look at the power that all these mamas and grandmas had. (laughs) And who are these guys up front? Big bunch of, uh, you know, the power wasn't there. There was a job to be done. Clearly and certainly there needs to be faithfulness to declare God's word. But unless God works in the heart, there's nothing going to be happening. You're nothing but a clanging gong and cymbal. It's blah, 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 unless the Spirit of God attends it and works in men's hearts. So we should start to really, really reevaluate our callings. And th- instead of running after what we consider or think are the high callings, the high callings being the things like, you know, really active in ministry. It's going to be this wonderful program. It's going to be because, you know, we're so actively engaged in all these things that we're doing in the church. And we have this program and that program. We're running this, you know, this meeting and that meeting. And I'm running it all. And look at all the work that I'm doing. I'm running around just going crazy. I'm, I'm just sweating. I'm so involved. You know, I've got so many things going on. And yet we've got some, somebody, an elderly lady, who's just not capable of doing that. And all she's capable of doing, because of her age, God has placed her, you know, in, in perhaps a, a home somewhere. I mean, you know, she's not really doing a lot for the kingdom. It's a lie. If, if if that lady is beseeching the throne of grace and she's crying out to the Lord, that's where the power's at. God, God will hear those prayers. And if all those other things are effective, it's because of the lady beseeching the Lord. This is why even as you mothers or you people at home or people, you know, often this, there's so, the feminization of, this, of the world and we live in are pressing ladies to go make their mark on the world, to go do something that's really going to get you noticed and give you glory and give you reputation and really say, now that's something to do. Look at this woman has a career. It's a fat lie. In the end, the quietness, the submission, the one that's diligently doing their duties and seeking the Lord and beseeching Him, these ones will be exalted as the ones who really had the ministry and the ones out front blabbing their lips didn't have near as great of a ministry. Now, I don't want to say that one is better than the other. I want us to understand that if, yeah, if you're out front blabbing your lips, but if you're seeking the throne of grace as diligently, that's just as good. But what we have to understand is that it's God who is at work. And unless he works, it's vain. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to reprioritize our lives. And understand, we pray. Because who our God is. And because he uses the prayers of his people to move mountains, to shake kingdoms, and destroy enemies. Therefore, let's get to the real work. Get on our knees and beseech the Lord that he might move. Amen. Father, we're thankful that you are the God who sits on your throne controlling the affairs of men and that you love absolutely love to hear the prayers of your people we're so thankful that you delight in our cries you delight in us humbling ourselves you delight in us looking to you for everything father we know that when we're weak that's when we're strong because that's when your power is made known May we humble ourselves before you, be weak in your presence, look to you as our God to provide all that we need. Make us a people of prayer, Father. May we fervently and diligently seek you, looking to you and to you alone for all that we need, crying out to you and watching your mighty hand move. O Father, be, be stirred by the prayers of your saints. And move mightily amongst us. For we ask this in Christ. Amen.